Well, it's never just another Sunday at Harvest. Aren't you glad you came to worship the Lord today? Take your Bibles and go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You'll notice if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around. If you don't have a Bible, would you just grab their attention? They would love to give you a Bible. And if you don't own one, uh, would you please take that one with you? It is a gift. We would love for you to read it this week. Bring it back next week. We love to study God's Word together. Uh, so we are here in Ephesians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you a, a little bit of a story. about uh, A couple of years ago, um, my wife and I were having some car trouble. And so we had to put our car in the shop. And because the car was going in the shop, that meant we also needed a, a, a rental car. And uh, the, when we went to the rental car place, the car that they gave us was a Kia Soul. Has anybody ever driven a Kia Soul before? Okay, here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a car guy, and uh, I had never noticed Kia Souls before in my entire life. Carissa would attest to you that there's a whole lot of things that escape my notice, but I had never even noticed a Kia Soul before. But because we were driving a Kia Soul, all of a sudden... I started seeing Kia Souls everywhere on the road. This ever happened to you before? Or like, you, like you, maybe you bought your car and then all of a sudden you started like seeing that car all over the place. It's like, man, how did this happen? Like, I've, I've never seen this before. And then all of a sudden, I never noticed it. And it's everywhere now. This, maybe you've heard of this. It's, it's a phenomenon uh, also known as the Batter-Meinhof phenomenon, or it was dubbed the frequency illusion by Stanford linguistics professor Arnold Zwicky in 2006, he described the process of finding out about something uh, for the first time and then seeing it all over the place because, uh, one, your selective attention kind of kicks in, and, and then secondly, every time you notice it then, it just confirms to you that you are right, this is everywhere now. And so like, that's how I felt about it. It's like I'm driving around the road and I could kid you not, it just felt like, man, we're being overrun by Kia Souls. And, and uh, maybe, maybe you experienced this a few years ago when the movie Frozen came out. And uh, you know what I'm saying, because there was a song in there. You ever heard that song before? Uh, the, the song like, got started playing all over. And once you heard the song, Let It Go was everywhere, right? Like, we can't escape it. Everybody's playing it. Everybody's singing it. And, and well, that's probably because they were. Uh, but the point of the illustration is this. Uh, scripture is going to point out a reality for us this morning that uh, maybe you've never been aware of. Maybe you've never noticed this before. Maybe you didn't know this, uh, but now that you're going to see it, you're just going to start noticing it everywhere. You are in battle. You're in battle. In fact, um, you are in the middle of a war, and this battle has been going on long before you were even aware of it. This war has been raging around you your entire life. And in the church, we often refer to it as uh, spiritual warfare. And, and we're not necessarily talking uh, about terrorism or physical threats to our national security. I don't think it has anything to do with Russia. We're actually talking about spiritual beings, okay? Satan and Demons. Now, like some of you are like, well, why, why, why do we, we got to talk about Satan and demons? Like, why, why, why are we talking about this? Well, for a few reasons. One, um, this is true, okay? God wants us to be aware of this reality. 
I mean, quite frankly, it's the next thing in the text. It's just kind of funny how God's been doing that, right? He just keeps taking us from one issue to the next. We started off with like Holy Spirit, then we moved to submission and headship and marriage, and then we went to parenting, and then we went to slavery, and here we are dealing with spiritual warfare. The joke around here the last couple of weeks has been like, who picked Ephesians? Why are we going through this? But God just wants us to see this. It is true. This is a reality that he wants us to be aware of. The second reason I think we need to do this is there's a lot of uh, confusion on this issue. Okay, we're, we're kind of okay talking about the supernatural in our culture right now. I mean, like, Hollywood's kind of warmed us up to that, uh, like, movies on superheroes and vampires and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but um, some churches may overemphasize it, but I think there are enough of us in the church that haven't been talking about it enough and, and I, I remember realizing this when I was talking to a buddy of mine at work a few years ago, and he claimed to be a Christian. He, he, you know, he went to church and all that, but I don't know that he really understood Christ. I don't know if he knew that. But I remember realizing that this guy was taking his cues on spiritual issues like this from The Walking Dead. You seen it? And I remember having a conversation one time with, with him where he was explaining to me in great detail what he would do if there really was a zombie apocalypse. And I thought it was, had something to do with like a baseball bat or something. I don't even remember what it was he was going to do. I thought it was kind of funny until I realized this dude is totally serious. He's ready for this, okay? It tells me that there's some confusion in our culture. In fact, uh, Barna Group a research firm that put out an article in 2009 indicated that about uh, 60% of Christians, uh, not, not, not just everybody, but 60% of Christians do not think that Satan is a real being. He's more like kind of like a, a, a symbol of evil. But at the same time, they found that uh, about two-thirds of Christians actually do believe that a person can be under the influence of spiritual forces, such as demons or evil spirits. And so, so Barna just kind of uh, notices the inconsistency. I want you to think about that. About half, uh, 47% of the Christians who believed that Satan is merely just a symbol of evil, nevertheless agreed that a person can be under the influence of spiritual forces such as demons. So what this is telling me is there's a whole lot of people, even in the church, who are totally confused on this issue and what the Bible has to say about it, which leads me to uh, another reason that we need to talk about this. There's some urgency. Because if this is true, and we have too many Christians who are confused and not going to the Word of God on this issue, then that means that we've got too many soldiers who are kind of strolling around on the battlefield without their armor on, and there's going to continue to be devastating consequences if we're not waking people up to this reality and let them know that they need to be prepared for battle. And I just don't want that for us, okay? In fact, I, I, like I've been preaching, I, I've been preparing for this message all week. In fact, this morning, it started to dawn on me that yesterday I was under some attack spiritually. And I didn't even realize, I've been prepping for this message all week, and I missed it. I don't want us to miss it. God help us. Here we are. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Father, would you uh, meet with us even now? Lord, I just want to be a conduit of your message and that your people, we would encounter you. You would instruct us in this area. You would wake us up to this reality. You would help us sense the urgency here. And most importantly of all, that we would see the power and the might of Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, here's our big idea this morning. Uh, We've been looking in Ephesians and seeing, uh, this is kind of the mirror of God's Word. We're seeing who we are in Christ and who we are determines how we live. And so here it is. We, we stand strong in battle. Do you know that? We stand strong in battle, but you better know this. We don't stand a chance without the Lord. We stand strong in battle, but we don't stand a chance without the Lord. And so I think this text is going to give us two reminders that uh, convince us that we can stand strong in battle. You ready for these? Here's one. Note this. Stand strong in the Lord. He is your power. He's your power. Uh, You need the power of the Lord. That's what he's telling you. Verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. He's telling us that like this, you better know where your strength is comes from. And and, and Paul hasn't even started talking about a battle yet. He's just telling you, you need to be strong in the Lord. He's like, don't get ahead of me. And and I don't know about you, but maybe you grew up like me watching Karate Kid, and and you're like, like, I just want to learn how to punch. When am I going to learn how to punch? And you hear the word fight, and you're ready to just come out swinging. You're like, all right, devil, let's do this. But, but, But the Bible's kind of reining us back in, like, settle down, hotshot. This is a warning for us, because a bravado and being macho is just going to get you knocked out. It's not you. It's not your power. Don't go out there thinking that you can take him on your own. Spiritual warfare is not won by desire or by resolve or by willpower or, or even by a competitive spirit. You better know where the power is coming from. And he tells you, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's like Paul's just stacking words on top of one another to impress upon us the power of God. That's the power because this is a spiritual fight that you can't win on your own. God wants you to stand strong, but don't forget, you don't stand a chance without him, all right? You better know where the power is coming from, and he wants you to know your enemy. Verse 11, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, Your battle's against Satan, and I'm going to use Satan and devil interchangeably here, but verse 12, he tells us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this is kind of our our, our sit rep, our 
military situation report uh, so, so that we get this down. We need to know that we're dealing with a spiritual enemy. So I just want to give you the highlights so that you're aware of who we're dealing with, okay? This is the enemy. You ready? These are uh, spirit beings. That means they live in the unseen realm. That's kind of the obvious reason why you may never noticed this battle before. You can't see them, but they're there. I was thinking about it this morning, how like, man, I, I didn't even recognize it. I, the, the battle came yesterday. I didn't see him, but he was there. He's there. I think about times where you know Satan was there. Think about the crucifixion. You know Satan was there, right? And, and I saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, which actually depicted for us Satan in the form of some creepy-looking guy. And, and then he reminds us later in the scene, in the crucifixion, this chilling scene where all of a sudden you recognize the face of Satan walking in the crowd as Jesus is carrying his cross. You may not be able to see him, but he's there. And, and God wants us. Not, not, that, not, not, not that we'd be freaking out, but... Uh, we want to be able to see and start noticing the activity of this unseen realm. So these are spirit beings, but they're also created beings. I find it interesting. Paul's actually been dealing with all these relationships that we have with other created beings. Uh, we're dealing with unbelievers. We're dealing with husbands. We're dealing with wives. We're dealing with children. We're dealing with masters and slaves. Now we're just dealing with other created beings. They're not human, but they're still created beings, and they're created. They were created as angels, but these angels are living in rebellion. These spiritual forces of evil are fallen angels. Second Peter chapter two tells us that. Jude six says the same. That sometime after creation, but before the fall of man. Uh, these angels rebelled against the good rule of God. And then we as humans, we joined in the rebellion. And so because of that, uh, the world has now been plunged into darkness and it has become the battlefield. These are uh, enemies fighting against God. But you gotta know, they're not God's equal, okay? They're created beings. This, this is going to become pretty significant when we consider that it's not really a, a fair fight. This is, this is not some uh, yin-yang dualism, uh, like balance between good and evil. Who's going to win? Is God going to be able to pull off the victory? Not even close. He is an infinite, omnipotent God. And yet, they're still pretty powerful. And they hate you. And they're not interested in your good, but your harm they want you to join in rebellion. So Paul is saying, I want you to, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That evil day is a phrase that he actually used back in chapter 5 when he said we need to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So he's not just talking about some time in the future. He's talking about right now. We are living in evil, dark days. And so there's some urgency to this call to arms. You better know the enemy. You better know the circumstances that you find yourself in. You better know your enemy because he knows you. Verse 11, Paul said, I want you to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word schemes kind of has the idea of, of cunning, of, of craftiness. Okay, okay, so the devil is, um, he's out to get you and he knows your weaknesses. 
And he's going to attack. He is a schemer. He's been fighting against you for longer than you've been aware of him. In fact, I think he actually prefers that you're ignorant. He'd rather you not realize that it's him, that, that, that there's enemies that you can't see that are attacking you. He wants you to not be thinking about those things because then you're not aware. You're not putting your defenses up. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he's figuring you out. He's figuring out just where he can get you. So let me tell you about our enemy for a minute. Uh, let, let's, let's learn about Satan himself. And, and just so you know, um, Satan is not omnipresent, so uh, you may not be the one that he's picking on. Uh, but these things are true of Satan, and he's the ruler of these forces, and so uh, we can expect these kind of attacks. Uh, one, we know Satan is a liar. Satan's a liar. Jesus said that in John 8, 44. He said he is a, a liar and the father of lies. Satan knows that if he can get you to believe a lie, then he can distort your view of God, and you can actually start to believe that our good heavenly father is not really good, that, that he's not a God that you can trust and that we should actually, we should rebel. Have you felt these lies he wants you to believe? Have you wrestled with thoughts like, God's not really real or he's not really for me or he uh, isn't really good or he just wants to lay down a bunch of legalistic rules to keep me from having fun or, or, or God's boring or God doesn't really care or God could never really love me or, or he's so merciful that, that it doesn't really matter if I sin because I can always just like say I'm sorry later or, or so it doesn't really matter or, or that he really can't help me, that I'm, I'm stuck in this guilt, I'm stuck in this shame, I can never get out, this, this sin is too powerful, all this stress that I'm dealing with, all these worries that I have, it's too much, it's never going to get better. Hey, hey, Satan's a liar, okay? You've been, you've been hearing these lies? He's also a tempter. Satan tried to tempt Jesus unsuccessfully, I might add, but how successful has he been at trying to tempt you? He tries to make the things of the world look really good, doesn't he? And one Puritan preacher has said that he sets the bait while hiding the hook. It makes it seem like, man, like, if I could just have this, this will make you happy. Just, just try this. Do this. Say this. It'll make you feel better. Look, how, look, look at everybody else. See, see how much fun they're having? He wants you to take it because he knows that the hook is there. We can't see it all the time. But he wants us to be caught. So Satan is a liar. He's a tempter. And he's also an opposer. He stands in opposition against the work of God. He's trying to stop it. In fact, we saw this when we were studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul was telling the church there in verse 18, he said, man, we wanted to come to you. Trust me, we really wanted to come to you. But, he said, Satan hindered us. Satan stands against the work of the church. And sometimes Jesus told us, uh, while we're we're spreading the word, right? It's kind of like seed. We're sowing the, the, the word of God and planting it, trying to get it planted in people's hearts. But Satan comes around and he snatches it up before that seed can take 
root. And then he sends in false teachers to lead people astray. He stands in opposition to kingdom expansion. He hates God's kingdom. And guess what? He hates what's happening here at Harvest Fairfax as our church is growing. You better believe we're going to come under attack because he's going to stand in opposition to what God is doing right here in this church. He's an opposer and he's also a murderer. Jesus called Satan a murderer from the beginning in John 8. And then in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, Jesus is kind of giving a message to some of the churches and he says this to the church in Smyrna, uh, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So he says, be faithful unto death. Satan might take you out. He hates you. He wants you to undergo, undergo persecution. He wants you to die. He is a murderer. He wants to destroy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to take you out. Or at least take out your witness to Christ. So if Satan, he gets his kicks out of seeing faithful followers of Jesus fall into unfaithfulness and sin. And if he can't get you there, he wants to take you out completely. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a tempter. He's an opposer. He's a murderer. And he's also an accuser. Revelation 12 verse 10 calls him the, the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night before our God. He wants to undermine your salvation. He, he wants to say it's not valid. He's going to point out your flaws. He hates you. And anything that he can do to stand against God and God's people, he's going to do it. He is a liar, a tempter, an opposer, a murderer. He's an accuser. I mean, this is a powerful enemy that we're dealing with. And what Paul is saying to us is stand strong in the Lord. He's your power. And here it is. Because of Jesus, you need to know one more thing about the enemy. He's a loser. You know that? Don't think for a minute that all hope is lost. Do not lose heart. Jesus cannot lose. He's already defeated Satan. Our enemy is a loser. I want you to see this Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, He, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. On the cross, Jesus won. He is our mighty warrior. He is the conquering king. I love in Revelation 19, we get this image when Jesus is coming back, he's riding on a white horse and he's got his armies behind him. But the armies didn't come to fight. They don't need to. They just show up, become spectators because it says from his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. They don't have to do a thing. It's the power of Christ's word destroys his enemies and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in the next chapter, he says the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is a loser. And so when Paul is telling us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, he's telling us Jesus is the power. There's nothing to fear here. And so when he tells us about spiritual warfare, he's making us aware of these things. He wants us to notice, but not so that we'll start freaking out and not so that we start worrying and getting spooked. He's just wanting to let us know, you don't stand a chance without Jesus. 
But because of Jesus, he's impressing upon us that because of who he is, we can stand strong against our enemies. In 1 John 4, he says, hey, little children, little children, listen, listen. You, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in you. He's so much more powerful. He's the power. You have a powerful enemy and maybe he's gotten the best of you before. But he's got nothing on an all-powerful God. You know that? It makes us thankful for Christ. He is your power. Here's the second reminder that convinces us that we can stand strong in the battle. Stand strong in the Lord. He is your protection. He's your protection. So now that you're going to start noticing the battle around you. Like, don't, don't make the mistake like I did of thinking like, Kia souls are everywhere. It's all over the place. Okay, it's like, we, we don't want to just attribute everything, that somehow everything is a direct attack uh, of Satan and his enemies. Don't overemphasize it. But, but some of you have been wandering around aimlessly on the battlefield, taking hit after hit, and you're wondering why your life is in so much pain and you're experiencing so much trouble. What he's telling you, verse 11, put on the armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. What he's telling you is put on your armor. Put on the armor. All right, Judah, you can come on down, buddy. You ready? You ready? There he is. I, I, uh, he's been waiting for this for like since we started the book of Ephesians and he knew the armor of God was coming and I thought a visual might help you out. Uh, so, so here's how this works in my house. Come on up, buddy. Uh, I have an alter ego. Looking good, man. You look really good. I have an alter ego in, in my house. I am known as Daddy Bad Guy. And Daddy Bad Guy has a superpower. Daddy Bad Guy's superpower has the ability to use any superpower that exists at any time, at his convenience, whenever he needs. And, and so I have things like, like electro hands that, you know, I can like zap and tickle and, and, and Hulk smash. That's really fun. And I'm not hitting my kid or anything, okay? Uh, but, but we have had some pretty epic battles, uh, especially that, that include some impressive uh, weaponry, right? And um, wait for it, wait for it. It actually gets better. You ready for this? Oh, I know that some of you just got scared. See, here's the deal. When I bust this guy out, he normally goes running, all right? And there's reason for that. Daddy bad guy's gonna win. I mean, how could I not win with this thing? And, and quite frankly, how could we do spiritual warfare without a lightsaber, right? We, we have to have that in there somewhere. So, so here's the deal. Normally, he's gonna take off running. But when he comes out dressed like this, when he's got some armor on, he's got a little bit more confidence to stand strong in, in, in the epic battle that we're about to have, right? Why? Why? Why does he have more confidence? He's protected, right? He's got some protection. And, and so I'm not able to, like, I'm not going to hit him. But you're, you would be surprised at how painful these little plastic swords are, and I start going running, all right? So, so here's the deal. What he's telling us, what Paul is saying, maybe one of the reasons that he's using all this graphic imagery of our enemy is to highlight this enemy to show us how foolish it would be for us to go out there thinking we could take him on our own. We don't need any protection. But when Judah comes out dressed like this, I know he means business. Are you coming out with the armor? See, if, you, if you're not putting on the armor of God, then you've already lost the battle. 
because you're missing out on God's provision of his power and his protection. And the enemy is going to pick you off. So we've got to put on this armor so that we're going to stand strong. That's the point in this. God does not want us to fall. He tells us we can stand firm, but only if we've got on his armor. It's not us. It's not you. It's the armor of God. Make sense? You got the visual in your head? Good job, buddy. Everybody give him a round of applause. Thank you. I would give this to one of you, but I realize that's not going to go well. So here's the deal. Paul gives us imagery, and now that you have that image of armor in your mind, let's, let's put on the armor. Okay, let's look at it. Uh, verse 14, he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So the, so the belt of a soldier was actually uh, tied up to hold the armor together, tie the loose ends up, and to make sure that the soldier was ready. And, and, and what is the belt? It's the belt of what? The belt of truth. And so truth obviously could refer to uh, the gospel that we find in uh, the Bible. But I think Paul, Paul's going to specifically point out that the sword is the word of God. And so I think the, the truth here could also mean truthfulness, as in sincerity, not hypocrisy. So the question then for us is this, is the truth of God producing a true heart for him in your life? Is it real? Or are you just a hypocrite? Warren Wiersbe has said it this way, once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. I think some of you have seen that. Satan doesn't, he doesn't mind if you come to church. He doesn't mind if you start teaching the kids. He doesn't mind if you become a small group leader. He doesn't mind if you become a pastor. As long as these things aren't really true in your life. There's kind of a gap between what we say and what's actually true of us. Does your walk match your talk? What area in your life do you need to be careful? Do you see how the devil could so easily get in here? Like, yeah, go, go sing at church. Go have fun. As long as you're really just walking in hypocrisy. This is protection for us. Truth is God's protection in your life. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, so obviously the breastplate covers your vital organs. It's pretty important, but it's the breastplate of righteousness. So don't start thinking, I, I just need to try harder. I need to, I need to be righteous. I need to be a better person so that I can stand against the devil. No, no, no. That's reverting back to counting on your own performance. That's, that's your own strength. And that's not the gospel, okay? Remember, Satan is the great accuser. Have you felt those accusations? Have you felt condemned? Maybe you feel these thoughts like, why are you even here at church? Don't, don't you dare raise your hands and sing. You know what you did this week. You're not, you're not a, you're, you're just a failure as a father. You're not a perfect wife. You can't tell people about Jesus. Look how you responded to people this last week. You can't do that. You're, you're just never going to be able to change. Listen, if, you're, if those kind of thoughts are coming to you, then guess what? You're under attack, okay? You are under attack from these lies of Satan, and he's accusing you. What's, what's the protection? What's the protection that we have? It's, it's not my righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? It's the righteousness of Christ, right? 
Proverbs chapter, or excuse me, Philippians chapter three tells us not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And some of the greatest words we've ever heard in scripture, Romans eight chapter one, there is therefore now no condemnation. How much condemnation? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get out of here, devil. The gospel assures me that because I have the righteousness of Christ, my salvation is sure. I am right before God. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. I have his righteousness. And and when that positional righteousness that you have in Christ is also producing practical righteousness as the fruit in your life, that's God just working in you. That's the protection of Christ and Satan can't touch you. So we got to get up every morning and we preach the gospel to ourselves again. Remind ourselves, it's not me. It, it, I'm not, I don't get to come here. I don't get to be in the presence of God. I'm not going to be able to stand unless I remind myself of the gospel that I have the righteousness of Jesus. That's my protection. Verse 15, and as uh, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, so remember, even in the middle of war, The gospel reminds us that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. There's no need to fear the enemy here. We don't don't have to fear his attacks. And there should be this eager readiness to share the good news. If you are not reveling in the gospel and getting the word out, then put your shoes back on. You're you're opening yourself up to, to attacks of the enemy because you're not ready. You're not ready. I just wonder, I just wonder, how do you how do you think God is gonna work this year? as we go out as unafraid witnesses, boldly sharing the good news of Jesus. How's he going to use that? And one of you shared with me, I just have to share this, I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, This is a quote from Pastor Tony Evans. Pastor Tony Evans says, a kingdom man, a kingdom, you're focused on the kingdom of God. I'm so ready because every time I think about it, I'm thinking about what the gospel does. I want to see other people come to know the Christ. I've got my eyes, I've got my mind on the kingdom. A kingdom man is the kind of man that when his feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh crap, he's up. Love that. I just love that. We're ready. Get your shoes on. We want to be ready. We're making the devil nervous. Come on, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And um, he's taking his shots, right? You don't have to actually dabble with a Ouija board or, or, or go to uh, some, some psychic or, or dabble in the occult to take shots. He's taking shots at you. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? These shots are coming, uh, but sometimes we're like a boxer who lowers his gloves in the 12th round. Like, what are you doing? Get your defenses back up. And, and when I think about this shield, I think of like Captain America, you know, like the like little round thing that might be able to stop something. No, this, this shield that he's actually referring to was really probably about four feet tall, over two feet wide. You could get your whole body behind it for protection. Are you getting behind this protection? And, and what is the protection? It's the shield of what? It's the shield of faith. I believe God. I trust in the Lord. Do you believe? Man, Satan would love to get you to doubt. Is this true? Is this real? And he'd love to discourage you too. I just feel like I keep taking shots. I don't know how much longer I can stand. He would love to get you there. Here's the question. Can you trust the Lord? Is he trustworthy? Lord, help our unbelief. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. I love this. Jesus saves. 
What greater protection against the lies of the devil that he tries to get us believe than the confidence that we have in this Jesus saves. Do you know that? Jesus saves. Come on, somebody lift up your voice and say it. Jesus saves. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice this is actually the only offensive weapon that you've got in the whole armor. Do you realize how important it is to get into the Word of God? Get into your Bible. And when you're flipping through these pages in the morning, or when you get on your battle, your, your, your Bible app, you're, this is not just some mundane routine, okay? You are going to battle. So important for us to get into the Word of God. We are in spiritual warfare. What's going to happen is you might start noticing it. You might start seeing it all over the place. And, and the point of all of this is, is not that uh, we would start swapping crazy stories of spooky events that might have some uh, like supernatural or demonic explanation. I realize those are there and, and, and it's kind of intriguing, but that's not the point of this. He wants us to be aware of these uh, attacks that are coming and they're often so subtle that we miss them and these attacks are coming every single day. He wants us to be able to see them and he's not doing this so that we will muster up our own willpower and our own determination like we're gonna go out and fight, but for us to see Jesus. He is the mighty warrior. He is the conquering king. And we don't stand a chance without him. But with Christ, we can stand strong in the battle. Does so the band's coming here? We're not packing up yet. Here's, here's, I, I don't know where you're at. Maybe, maybe you've been stumbling lately. How, how many of you have been feeling like you've had an attack at least? I mean, you feel like, you, you're feeling like you've been spiritually attacked. This stuff is happening all the time. Maybe we're not noticing it. Maybe we're not seeing it. What's the devil trying to get at? What, what are his, his demons? What are they, where, are they, where are they getting you? They're scheming. They're trying to take you out. Is it lies? Is it accusations? Are they tempting you? Where's that area? You need to make sure that these things are really true of my life, not just what I say, what I do. Where is God impressing on you where you need to be careful what he's reminding us is to look to the one who cannot lose he doesn't fall I want to end with this why don't you stand and let me read these words let me read this prayer to you this doxology that comes from the book of Jude that reminds us of the one that we can look to, the one who is our power, the one who is our protection. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, the one who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his, of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, be majesty, be dominion, be authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.